Hey guys, gals, non-binary pals, if you're listening to this episode, I am in Houston, Texas, and somewhere else. (laughs) I'm traveling around the country for my book right now, doing book signings all across the country in independent, mostly queer-owned bookstores. And we started tonight. I am actually just wrapping up my, my wonderful book signing here in tropical Madison, Wisconsin, at Rooms of One Own here. And we had an amazing turnout for the book launch, and it was a a terrific experience. We actually ended up signing a whole bunch of autographs out on the sidewalk. So all that being said, I am going to do the best I can to sign as many autographs as I can everywhere I go and to meet as many as you as possible. So if a bookstore closes or a library wraps up, we might be doing some of that work out on the sidewalk. (laughs) But that being said, we're going to be in Houston. We're going to be in Decatur, Georgia. We're going to be in Denver, Colorado. Seattle, San Francisco, and then Michigan and Columbus, Ohio, and all the cities coming up. You can learn more by going to my website, mercurystardust.com. And that's just the first leg of the tour. We're going to be back at this after taking a couple of weeks off to go right into our East Coast tour starting in October. So if you want to find out more, go to my website and find out more. <laughs> and then without further ado, let's start this episode and help some strangers with their things. And remember, this really does mean a lot to me that all oh, you are getting the word out. I can't tell you how many people tonight I spoke to who listened to the podcast, who, you know, found me because of someone else they love, introduced me to them. And it's, it's just a terrific experience to be able to meet so many of you. So thank you for that privilege of meeting you and connecting with you. It's been one heck of a ride. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a good night and listen to the episode and stuff. <laughs> I'm really tired. <laughs> Mercury, Mercury, Stardust. She's a beacon of hope in the darkest night. Mercury, Mercury, Stardust. She'll teach you how to make it all all right. Hey there, hi, my name is Mercury, and I'm the trans handy ma'am. My pronouns are she, her, and I teach compassionate DIY. We're here to help renters, LGBTQIA members, and anyone who's feeling left out in a DIY space. Hey guys, gals, and non-binary pals! Thank you for listening to this very special episode of the Handy Ma'am Hotline. This is the very first week that my book is actually available to everyone in the United States and in parts of the world. Super cool. It's Safe and Sound, a renters-friendly guide to home repair. We're going to be talking a lot about that this episode, so all of you can get just as hyped as we are about the book. We're currently on a 52-city book tour, and it's just a really exciting time. But all that being said, I'm accompanied by my wonderful friend, my best friend in the whole goddamn world, and my uh, creative director, the amazing Basil. (laughs) And Basil is just actually a cat. Um, (laughs) We have decided that we're going to move into a different direction, and we fired the old Basil, who used to use words, and now we just have a fully grown cat that is very fluffy, working with us named Basil. Isn't that right? (laughs) God, you could keep this bit going. People would buy it. (laughs) The best cat noises in the biz. Uh, Okay, Basil, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing okay. How are you? I'm doing really good. Now, as we're recording this part of the episode, we actually haven't gone on the tour yet. No, we're still in Madison. Uh, We're still in Madison right now recording this. So I'm very excited about us being on the tour. Now, when if you're listening to this, on the Thursday that it comes out, it means we are leaving New York City and going to Houston, Texas. 
And then the very next day, we're going to be in Atlanta. And then the very next day, we're going to be in Denver. And the next day, Seattle. And then the next day, San Francisco. And the next day, <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> that's so nuts. Wow. There's a lot. There's a whole lot of work. And that's um, not even the end either. Not it's... even the end. That's just, that's literally less than like 12 or 14% of the whole book tour. Yeah. Because the, we're doing 52 cities, uh-huh. which is an absolutely, like doing this out of spite was a choice I made. It was? Yeah, 100%. But that being said, we're going to focus on helping strangers on the internet Yay. with problems they have in their home. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we are going to get five questions here. Some are going to be ones where we're going to read them to you. Others are going to be audio messages that we were sent via our text message. And if you want to send questions at the podcast, you can call this number. 608-205-8768. So, without further ado, do we are going to start the episode. So, let's get handy. Hi, Mercury. My name is Lynn, and I'm calling because I'm currently at my sister's in Indiana, and we have got it where our washer, the the like drain sink that's for it, is really old and it doesn't work. So they're currently using a sub pump to go to the drain line. But the issue is that the sub pump's like actual activator is still too heavy for the water line. And so it's not actually starting when it's supposed to. And I'm trying to connect the actual drain for the washer to the drain line, but the actual water that flow that's coming from the washer is not too strong. So it's going to have issues going up because it's kind of higher than the actual drain line is. Any help you can provide, I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hey, Lynn, thank you so much for asking this great question. Now, whenever we're talking about a sump pump, we're talking about a very niche thing that a lot of you may not know exactly how it works. So we're going to kind of walk you down how a sump pump works and what they're trying to do here because we as a team actually had to talk this one out and make sure we all understood what the question was because there were so many parts of this question that I didn't want to get anything confused. I also wanted to talk about like how a sump pump works because Matthew, Matthew, say hi. Hello. Wasn't 100% positive how this works. And Basil has some great smart knowledge stuff they wanted to share. So we have <laughs> a bunch of cool things we want to share with you, Lynn. And hopefully one of us will accidentally solve your problem. <laughs> um, so so here's what what's happening here. They have a drain hose that's going from a washer. But it's going up into a slop sink, okay? And that slop sink, from what I understand of it, is not working. Now, that could mean that the faucet ain't working or it ain't draining. I was a little confused by that, and I think we all are still a little confused by that. We've done a lot of things on clogs. The clog episodes apply to this too, right? There's still a P-trap underneath that slop sink. Take that P-trap off. You snake it. I would advise, since you're in the basement probably, or you're in a space where there's probably a lot of lint in it, because if you're using, if you're draining it from the washer, it, what happens a lot is that that, in, that entire drain line, because it's only like two and a half, maybe two inch drain line, it's a small drain line, all that lint builds up in the drain and causes problems. So I wouldn't be surprised if you need a, an electric auger to be able to clear that out you can get one on a good old-fashioned amazon for like 70 bucks or something like that but if you want to stay on the cheaper end then a pistol grip hand auger which is about 20 bucks 
would be what I would recommend. Just bend that tip at a 45-degree angle to make it easier for you. So now, now we, we talked about the clog itself, if there is a clog in that drain, okay? But that's what we're dealing with. We have a washer that has a drain hose that's going up on probably like a pretty steep angle that is then going down into your, your slop sink. Now, for whatever reason, because of that line being lower than the sink itself, there's hard time for that water to go up and apart. And there's somewhere in here, in this mix, there's a sub pump, right? Now, Maddie and Basil, where is the sub pump located right now in this equation that Lynn has told us about? The sub pump is literally after the slop sink, right? That's my That's what we're all getting from this? Okay, good. I just wanted to make sure that's what we're talking about. But there could be a clog. I think Maddie was right off recording when 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 he said that he thinks there was a clog somewhere in here that could very well be because of all the lint but something else Matt he said was matt what you ask me buddy matt asked me a question that we can't remember but <laughs> what we were trying to tell you is that the way the sump pumps basically work right is that they help you get the water up and out of an area that's typically lower than what your seepage is okay so like for our example, we're in the basement of a, a historical building, right? The plumbing is actually above our heads. There is no plumbing down below us, not in this space down here. So we need that sub pump to pump it up. It just takes that pressure and then sucks it up and then right up and out it goes, right? You need to be able to do that and a pressure from the sub pump will help get you in that direction, okay? Now... In this example, something that they, I think, are missing a little bit is that sub pumps won't fully do their job unless they are fully seated in the right way. If you take the sub pump off, you take the cover off, which is always like you're doing a tire, okay? Like, you know how you do a tire where you don't go all the way around with the, with the leg bolts? You got to go like, like a star. Do you know what I'm talking about? You got to do the same thing with sub pumps. Because they'll have like a rim that has screws on the side of it. Okay. And you got to take them off all across each other. You're going to build up pressure that can okay. not be fun. Yeah. But the same thing when you put it all back together. It needs to be um, going one point to another point to another point like a star. Gotcha. Instead of it being like a circle effect. That helps in a lot of different ways. And I don't fully understand how that works, but I know that's how you're supposed to do it. Okay. Now, all of that being said, right... When you open that up, you will have some type of hose that is basically the air vent to that sub pump. And then you'll have another hose that is going to be for your actual, like, getting the water up and out. Okay? If those aren't seated right or missing their points, it will fuck up the whole thing. All of this is if it's set right. Because if it's not set right, the sub pump is not going to work fully or work at all. And a lot of times, I would say nine times out of ten... Whenever I've encountered a sub pump that is not working right, is not because of pressure, it's not because of any of those issues, it's because it wasn't seated right when it was put together or someone bumped it and knocked it out of its like little spot, okay? So you open up that sub pump, it's going to be gross, sorry, and then you are going to find where the motor is, where the pump actually is itself. You're going to make sure all, all of its feet are exactly where it needs to be. They need to be in a specific spot or won't line up with the air vent and won't line up with the actual water coming in and out. 
And will those spots be like marked? A lot of times it's like, you know, how when you're, I'm trying to think of a really good example, but it, the feet are exactly where they need to be. So when you just like put it down there and you turn it, usually you'll fall into place. Usually. Now, some designs are old. All these designs are completely different sure. from one pump to another pump kind of thing. But typically there is, you've got to empty the whole damn thing out mm-hmm. or get in a wet vac and suck up as much water as possible. And then you'll be able to kind of see where all the stuff is. It, 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 the first couple of times you do it, it will be night, nightmarish. Sometimes they'll have a plate that will have notches in it. So you get to slide the plate down there and fit into the notches. And then you put the sub pump on top of that plate oh. where the feet will have like a, a ledge or something to grab onto. That might be something that might be happening too where the feet are broken and they're leaning in a weird way and not pumping. So all of those things could be a real possibility. I think that if you're having an issue where you the hose is you know coming on a weird angle and it's just not having enough pressure to get in there and it's short term in the short term world what you could do is just take a turkey baster and put it at the edge of the hose and pump it a few times to get the water coming and once the water is going it'll it'll start going because of why basil surface tension surface tension and other things i don't know anything <laughs> about whatsoever because that's not where i got my degree in <laughs> Luckily, I can tell you a little bit about it. It's because of, you know, you've probably heard that water is like polar, right? So like one end of the water molecule is slightly positive charge and one end of the molecule is slightly negative charge. So they like to stick together, the water molecules. A good example of like a visual of this is when you see like those bugs that can like walk on on the, the... Oh, yeah. The water. Yeah, on top of the water. That's because of surface tension and the the water molecules want to stay together. So the the little bug legs don't, like, slip in. That is wild to me. Isn't it cool? The world is a wild place. So what I'm trying to say is that that should solve your problem. If if there's a clock going on, try that somewhere in the line, either going to the sump pump or before the sump pump. I will say that also, you know what, now that we're talking about this a little bit more, there's a very good chance that there's a bunch of lint inside of that sump pump. Now that we're talking, that might actually be the thing that's causing the problems. Yeah, they didn't mention like how old the, the sump pump is. Or, like, or if they've cleaned installed. it out or if they've done, because you really should be, mm-hmm. if you got a sump pump, especially what, I mean, we don't know how big the sump pump is. It could be a five gallon. It could be a 2.5. We got a 2.5 down here, which is crazy small for a kitchen sink sub pump. It's way too small for what we use it for down here. But I would say like a five gallon is really popular you can get them much bigger than that too oh god i hope it's not too small that would be a definitely disaster for that that what you're using it for but all that being said now that i'm we're, we've walked through all of this now i'm going to say this is my suspicion lynn i believe it's going you're going to find a shit ton of lint from your washer that worked itself into the sump pump now and th- somehow that's lodged it in a weird way or has clogged the sub pump. And now you're going to need to try to clean it out. And it actually isn't, usually it's not too bad when your sub pump gets clogged. That usually all you need is like a, you know, like even a skinny drain cleaner, like a Colbert skinny drain cleaner. Just like take that, run it through the, the, the this holes, you know, like a foot or two, and then you're good to go. Just pushing it out or grabbing it out will, will be all you need. Does that make sense? Did I do a good job explaining this, you two? I think so. Gold star. 
Gold star. Wow. Oh, man. Thank you. Everyone, I have a gold star. What are you going to do now? Buy my book, Safe and Sound. A ranger's friendly <laughs> got a home repair. That's what you're going to do. Oh, we're trying to be in New York's bestseller. So I'm really hoping that we do that. So we got one down. And I'm going to mention, if you're like, is she going to do this bit? Every single time she answers a question. Yeah, I am. I'm 100% because that's what hustling is. All right. <laughs> okay. Now, without further ado, let's go into the second question. Let's get handy. We really do need a theme song. All right. So here we go. Our next question. I have a DIY question. The lining slash gasket is coming off our freezer door, and to save money, we'd like to just re-glue it because we haven't been able to find a replacement gasket. It's an old freezer. Would love to see you do a series on assessing whether a gasket can be fitted back in or how to glue. And additionally, I've been having trouble finding out what kind of glue to use to seal the gasket. I see a lot of references for sealant for fridges, but not for freezers. Sending you lots of love, and we really appreciate and support you. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks for your time. And this person's pronouns are she, her, we don't have a name. Well, okay, I'm going to, so since we don't have a name, we're going to go with unknown. <laughs> no, we're going to go with UK, unknown. I like that. So UK, that's what we're going to go with, because A is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so great question. We're talking about the lining itself, the little gasket. That uh, that's the cushy part that is on freezers and fridges, right? Now, a lot of times when we're talking about freezers and the gasket itself, you can like seat it back into place. But from what I'm hearing here, this is like a one of those adhesive that are like into it. This is a much older way of doing it. They said it was an older freezer. It's probably one of those rectangle nightmares that mm -hmm. is just hard to move and hard to deal with mm -hmm. that you know that every single show in the entire world hide, hides dead bodies in you know? <laughs> we were watching resident alien with alan tudyk the other night and he literally it's hard to explain but there's one part where he uses it to hide a body and i looked as easy and i said of course he did of course he used the freezer those poor freezers get the worst <laughs> rap in the world <laughs> okay Anyways, so let's talk about this. Now, what is the best adhesive to work on it? You So first and foremost, there's a whole bunch of different types of adhesives that you can use with this. The very first thing that comes to mind is like JB Weld is probably one of the better ones. The Gorilla Glue has a really good, you know, two-part epoxy. Mm -hmm. Epoxies are going to be better in this route than other ones, partially because the way it's going to handle the cold. Epoxies are stronger, more tougher binds. Okay. And if you have a two-part epoxy, usually what you do is you have like, the JB Weld is a perfect example where you have, you know, one part this one thing and another part another thing, and then you squeeze them into like a little Tupperware container and then you just mix them and then you use that as uh, an applicator, you know, some type of like throwaway spoon or, you know, a tongue compressor. Like when or, you're mixing up bleach to dye your hair at home. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a great example. 
so yeah, thank you, Bays. When we're talking about like mixing up, you know, like home bleach, a lot of our audience is going to know uh-huh. that, right? Yeah, know your audience. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're mixing up the bleach and you're stirring it up and having two chemicals and all that, same basic concept. And then you're just going to apply it like you would apply to your hair, to be honest. Is this something you should be wearing a respirator for? Oh, yeah. It's almost always smelly. So if you're in a basement, which almost every one of these big-ass freezers are, then you really want to make sure that you have, if you have a window down there, open it up if you can. And have a box fan going or some type of, like, you know, thing that's going to stir that air up a little bit and then wear a respirator or at the very least a mask. Mm -hmm. To protect yourself as much as you can protect yourself. And then it's just a slow and sturdy method. I think no matter what route you do when you have that gasket on, no matter what you do, you're going to need to use something to apply pressure to it. Okay. So you might need to like, in order to do this properly, you're either going to need to leave the door open while doing this. So like make sure there's nothing in the freezer Make sure that you defrost it. Do all mm-hmm. the stuff you should do. Empty it out or put everything in a cooler and stuff like that. It's going to last a while. Make sure you have a lot of ice. That kind of stuff. Because the reason why I'm saying this is because if you're using this adhesive and you're doing all this stuff, you're going to need it to be in an ideal condition, which means it should not be cold when it's first adhering itself. Once it's cold, it will be fine. But trying to adhere this all on the cold... That's the problem. Is, but probably one of the reasons why it's harder to, for you to find this information is because none of the freezers that you have are going to have that stuff added to it when it's cold most of the time. Mm. It's hard to ha- add any adhesive in, in a non-ideal condition. That is, if it's too hum- humid in a space or if it's too dry in a space or if it's too cold or too warm, it needs to be in that like 65 to 80 degree range for adhesives to really work properly. And that's why... I always say stay clear of the command strips in the bathroom. Right. Because the high humidity from your your bathroom will change how the uh, the chemistry of that that adhesive uh-huh. and make the whole thing not work the way it should, right? Especially if you don't have good airflow in your bathroom. Especially like if I do. you don't have good airflow. <laughs> but back to the freezer, okay? So I would get yourself like a one by two or a one by four, and then I would take a whole bunch of clamps and I would clamp that one by four or one by two on the where the gasket is and use it to sandwich the door with the gasket. Do you know what I mean? Okay. So you're basically okay. just using it to apply pressure. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever done that thing when when we were kids when you take a baseball a baseball you put it into the the uh, crease of your baseball cap and you tie a whole bunch of rubber bands about it and you bend the rim around the baseball. No. Do you ever do that as a kid, Matt? You must have done that when you were a kid, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, you take a baseball, you put it into the rim of the baseball cap, and you take a whole bunch of rubber bands, and you wrap them around it, so you're bending. That's how you get that curve look on your your baseball caps. Oh. Do you not know? You've never, you've never seen this? I thought they just came that way. I didn't, I'd never had a you, baseball. You can bend the rim, cap. but you don't really get that sharp look. So you would take a baseball and just wrap it and use it as oh. a template. But what I'm saying is that same basic ideology is what I'm talking about with this gasket. You're just, you know, the rubber bands are essentially the clamps. And the, the baseball is essentially that one one by two. Mm-hmm. And you're basically sandwiching it up against that door with the gasket to make sure you get the nice good hold. You can add in the glue and not do that. Or you can just close the door and then sh- put some, a bunch of heavy stuff on it. 
that's another route. Then you don't have to empty everything out, right? The only thing I think about that is that that's when things can go wrong, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's when things get stuck to it. That's when the door gets, you know, accidentally adhesive together and those kind of things. Sure. Um, you might it might still happen with the with the wood if you have a lot of glue that is seeping on the sides and stuff like that. But you just be careful, be mindful. You can just do all this work, leave it running if you need to, and then put a whole bunch of heavy stuff on it. But as I said before, I don't think it's going to adhere to that cold surface of that door as well. But it might. It might. I might be wrong. You know, it won't be the first time I'm wrong. But that would be my suggestion is empty it, then do it that way for the best results. Okay. Did I answer that pretty good? I think the only thing they said is that they can't find the replacement gasket. Oh, the replacement gasket situation. This is such a good question. Now, when we are talking about any type of specialty parts of them, appliances, you really shouldn't try to go to, you know, a hardware store. You ain't going to find those specialty stuff at a hardware store. You need to go to a supplier. So you need to look for an appliance supplier or a freezer, a place that only sells freezers okay. or a place that only sells refrigerators or a place that only sells whatever, right? And those suppliers that work directly with handy people or maintenance technicians or contractors, they will almost always have some type of correlation with the product you're looking for. So what I mean by that, if you say, well, I have this brand, this make, and this model, you find the make and models usually on the side of the, the lid of the freezer or on the inside of where the hinges are, right? Uh-huh. That's usually where you find that information. Like on a little sticker. Yeah, like on a sticker or a metal plate. It all depends. Sure. Or even on the back of it. But wherever it is, it will tell you the make and model. You go to the supplier. You say the the, the make and the model of it. And then, even if it's discontinued or old, they can typically find something in their database that will be a correlation or some type of like close enough match to it like when you go to like a scrapyard to get a, a part for your car yeah exactly like you know when you drive around with a door that's all like red but your <laughs> yeah. car is blue yeah. it's kind of like that it's kind of like that in that same as long as it it, it it matches with what you need and what kind of style it doesn't really necessarily matter and especially for a gasket as long as you get the kind that's flat back and not curved and like wedged in like you would for a refrigerator then I think you're fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think you can, I think most, I mean, I don't know for sure because I'm not working on your specific freezer, but I would think that would be the route that I would go is if you really want to get a replacement one and this one is too beat up and it's worn out. And here's the thing. You don't want to do all this work with a, uh, a beat up old gasket that is half working anyways. You want, you want something that isn't completely dried out and completely you know, not doing its job to begin with. So, but that would be where I would look. And here's the best part is the, one of the best suppliers in the whole world is the internet. You can, if you put in the make and the model and the gasket, I think you will find something or the inner lining tube or whatever you want to call it. There's a whole bunch of different names for it or find the make and model and then put in manual and you might get some information about that as well. What part number you're going to get if you yeah. can get the part number, then you're you're, then you're home free when you go to a supplier because then you just give them the part number and yeah. they'll take that and boom 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 you'll be you, you'll find the information. Yeah. That's what we did all the time. And and one step farther 
If you are ever looking for a new condenser for a freezer or a new, like a part that has a number on it, you make sure you get that number and you bring that in because that part number will, it doesn't really matter what the make and model of the fridge is. Mm-hmm. As long as they find the part number of that specific unit, sure, sure. they'll be able to get you a new fan or a new condenser and, and whatever. And that'll be penny on the dollars compared to hiring a professional to do it all for you. Gotcha. Okay, everyone, I feel like the first two questions have put us through this already. I feel like... Very thorough. Oh, very thorough. A lot going on. I am tired by my own exhaustion. But also, I need you to know that information like that actually is not in my book, Safe and Sound Adventures, Friendly Guide to Home Repair. (laughs) We don't have a whole lot of information about appliances in the book. There is a whole chapter about appliances and mold and mildew and etc. But there isn't a whole lot like on appliances themselves but in the book we do talk about the make and model and supplier and where to go and that kind of stuff i do think that can send you in the right direction so if you are thinking boy i don't know if this book is for me it is (laughs) (laughs) so buy the book hustle 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 (laughs) are you ready for the next question heck yeah let's go hi handy ma'am my name is Britt. i go by she her Hey, so I have a question for you, and I think it's a pretty good one. So I use Charmin Ultra Soft, the toilet paper. I refuse to use anything else. It's just the softest. So I have learned, and from what I see on TikTok, we're learning that this toilet paper is not really good for your toilets and your pipes. So I've actually had to call my maintenance guy out quite a few times to snake my toilet and to plunge my toilet. I'm learning this is just, it is what it is when you use this toilet paper. So my question is, you as the handy ma'am, do you have any tricks or home remedies or something that we Charmin Ultra Soft users should be doing in order to help our toilet not clog or help our pipes? I understand I could get a little mini garbage and put it next to my toilet and put my used tissue there. I don't want to do that. I want to keep using this toilet paper. So I was just wondering, is there something I don't know that us Charmin Ultra Soft users should be doing? Please and thank you. I just want to say that I love you and you're super inspirational and I think you're amazing. So don't stop what you're doing, girlfriend. All right. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Well, Britt, I tell you what, you buttered me up real good at the end there because I was going to yell at you. <laughs> I I was sitting here looking at Basil like they have the answer. The answer's right here. <laughs> and then you buttered me up real good. And now I forgot what I was mad. <laughs> well, Britt, I'll tell you right now, Charmin is bad. This is true. But there, there are worse ones than Charmin. So this is what we have found when we've done this research in the past when we're talking about toilet paper themselves and if if those who are listening to this being like what's so wrong with Charmin so a lot of these stuff that's ultra soft or like all this ply like this eight ply or 12 ply now that means that when it's flush sometimes it's no better than a flushable wipe and a flushable wipe for those who are just listening for the first time flushable wipe is a misnomer name right like it's technically flushable but it doesn't break down typically some do But they're very rare, and I still don't think it's worth it to flush any type of flushable wipes down. You can use them with a trash can next to the toilet and wrap it in and whatever. To me, that is a better route to go than to keep your habits the same and cause further problems. So 
Brent, this is what I'm going to tell you. The problem you're having right now could be a bunch of different things. You could be dealing with a toilet itself that has a lot of back, like a lot of problems inside of it, right? Like you could be, there could be a lot of buildup of natural blockage. There could be a lot of total paper that's just wedged in one of the, the S-curves. There could be a lot going on, Britt, that you may want to look into. And I think this is where I would get myself a closeted auger. And I would auger the toilet myself because I also don't think you need to call a plumber for this. I Most of the time, if you know what the problem is and it's if it's in the shallow part of your toilet and not in the drain, which I would I, I hope it is, it should be okay. You know, even a really good bellows plunger can sometimes do a lot of it. And a bellows is like a big cordian plunger, right? Those two things combined should do the trick most of the time. Okay, Brent? But this is what I'm going to throw out there. The toilet paper that I, I use that breaks down very decent but is still very soft but not ridiculously bunched up like a Charmin is. Like Charmin is very thick and it doesn't always break down when you flush it. But another product does and that's called Andrel Soft. I am, I, I swear to God, I think Angel Soft is one of the best toilet papers out there. I'm not sponsored by Angel Soft, I swear <laughs> to God. But if you want to sponsor me, winky, winky, wink, <laughs> you're hard to get a hold of these days. But all that being said, Angel Soft is great because it's super soft on your boot, but it also breaks down really well, like a good tissue when you're blowing your nose. Wait, that's not good. You don't want your t- <laughs> You don't want that to have like a cheap tissue when you're blowing your nose. <laughs> But we should mention, though, right, that toilet paper is supposed to break down. Like, yes. that is that is part of the purpose of it. Yeah, a lot of people will get mad or anxious about the idea that, like, the toilet paper itself is, like, not doing its job or too thin and et cetera. Um, one ply is terrible. Everyone hates right. one ply. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone hates, you know, two ply even. You know, when it starts getting up in four, six, or seven, to me, that's enough and I, I, you know, Brit, to each our own, right? But I'm going to tell you this right now. What is cheaper, Brit? <laughs> Calling someone for help constantly, uh, plumber-wise, uh, having them do all that work for you, or just changing it to a toilet paper that's going to, you know, be a little bit better down the road. And I will say this. This is not a problem of just Brits. I, I hear this constantly. Charmin is kind of a nightmare toilet paper. It is super soft and super great, but then you should use less of it, right? right? Like right. if it's if it's eight ply or ten ply or whatever it is right now, you really don't need much of it. And I know that might gross you out because your hand is closer to the poo. But then I have another thing to tell you: get yourself a fucking bidet. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. Yeah, you know, I'm telling you, a bidet is life changing. Literally, and and I and I really think a bidet is the route I would go in your instance. Because then you can keep the Charmin, right? But you don't need nearly, you don't need to wad it up. And I think the wadding up problem with the combined natural blockage is causing more of an issue. So I think if you use a bidet with your Charmin, I think you're going to be a a very happy person. And if you're like, I don't know, Mercury, I don't want to spend you know, a hundred dollars on a bidet or 50 bucks on a bidet. If I don't know if I like it, do me a favor, get yourself a portable travel bidet. Just try it out. A $10 little thing or $8 thing. 
You fill it with water and you just squeeze it and it shoots water up your boot. Okay. But it's, it, I'm telling you, once you do it, it's a little bit like shocking at first. It takes a little bit to get used to it, but I'm telling you, it's not, it's not gross. It's actually more sanitary. And it, you also get way more cleaner. You feel more fresh. Just, just think about this. Like, okay, like if you're going to, like, say you have a little kid who just ate like um, spaghetti, right? They got spaghetti sauce all over their face. Are you are you going to be more effective using a dry paper towel or a wet washcloth? You know, like yeah, one hundred percent. So what we're trying to say is clean the biscotti that's in your bud with a wet thingy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I lost it, Basil. I had it. I had it, Basil. <laughs> I lost it, man. If you have anything that looks like spaghetti in your stool, please see a doctor. <laughs> uh, okay, but all that being said, I mean, we, we covered that. That's a, that was a pretty straightforward one. Did we miss anything, you two? What do you guys think? What do you think there, Baze? Oh, I'm just, I'm seconding that bidet option for sure. I think the bidet is... Uh, okay, good. <laughs> Wait, I, I think all three of us have bidets, right? Oh, we all got clean oh, bubbles. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm not, I don't want to try to push this on anybody. <laughs> I don't want to push my trans agenda on you. <laughs> uh, but I'm telling you right now, a bidet is really nice. Yeah. It's super, boy, do you feel good. Once you get used to it, you really get, uh, get comfortable. If you're living in a place where it gets really, really, really cold, like Alaska, northern uh, Michigan, northern Wisconsin, northern Minnesota, those kind of places, right? Uh, and you are using a bidet. Yeah, I mean, it's, in the winter, it's going to be a little bit colder than you would want it to be. But they do make hot water ones, yep. too. And the one that I have is a hot water one. I think Basil has a really fancy I digital do. like one that's good. I think Matt has a straightforward one, right? You don't have like a super bell and whistle one, right, Matty? It was like the cheapest one I found on Amazon. It's just... Like goes under the seat. So what was mm-hmm. the mat? The one that you had, it just goes right on the seat. It doesn't even connect to any. Does it connect to the line or anything, Matt? Yeah, it comes with like a T valve. Oh, it does. It comes with a little splitter. Yep. Okay. So now what? That's very easy. Those splitters are very easy to do. All you do is take off the supply line underneath your toilet. Turn off the water first, of course. Yes. Then you can and flush the toilet. And you flush your toilet and make sure that there's no water in your toilet. So when you take this all apart, you don't have water just gushing out. But you do all that, right? And then you take off the supply line. And the supply line is that line that's coming from the wall, essentially, to the toilet. You take that off and you put a T bracket in there, which is basically a splitter. And then when you get that all connected, then there's another tube that goes from the T-bracket going to the bidet itself. Matt, is that's all it is. Mine is a seat that's also with a hot water line. Mine was um, a Tushy. I like the brand. Uh, very easy to work with. Very straightforward. Didn't really need any extra bells and whistles. Could do most, most of it with a, a screwdriver and most of it with a pliers. And that's basically it. Um, so I liked it. Pretty straightforward, not hard. About a hundred dollars though. Matt's was probably what twenty, thirty bucks. 
I think about there, yeah. Yeah, and Basil's was much more than that. So yeah, yours really is like at the high end. One. And was it is it hard to install or easy? It was super easy to install. It's just the the one water line, just like Matt's, because it's the it also plugs into an outlet. That's the thing. You have was, to have an outlet close to your toilet. I was going to say, so this one heats it up inside. It does. It also has a built-in seat warmer, so my seat is warm, and it has like a drying function. It blows dry air. You have a fucking throne. Yeah. Your shitter yeah. is a throne, it's my really friend. Nice. It has a light, too. It has a light? Yeah, so like lights, what the fuck lights is this? the Man, toilet bowl. You, I swear to God, for those who do not know, and this is all of you, because I don't think we've ever disclosed this stuff. When it comes to living the life, Basil lives the life. I swear <laughs> to God. Because they have one of those cool, big kitty litter boxes, like those kitty robot. Litter, litter robot. Yeah, you have that. You get one of those cool, like, little robot dudes that clean the floor. What is those called? Uh, we have an off-brand Roomba. Uh, off-brand Roomba. And they got a fucking toilet that is like designed for pleasure it's wild to me <laughs> small luxuries i spend a lot of time at home yeah but that's the thing like i get it like to me you should whatever brings you joy in that way wherever it makes your life a little bit happier we spend a lot of time on toilets I, yeah. I, for real for real and i i think that when we're talking about all of this i would really highly recommend the bidet because of this whoa this was like a bidet commercial we just did <laughs> uh the day industry should give me a little slice of that pie i think <laughs> <laughs> but all that being said if you are someone who's really hell-bent on Charmin and you're, you're not going to change your habits at all all i'm going to say is that that build's going to be a whole lot more expensive than a bidet is okay and not saying you're always going to have that issue you you know if you do the toilet auger and you 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 clear out that entire drain or the S trap in your toilet, and it really clear all the good. You might not need to worry about it then. But older toilets definitely will have a harder time. They're going to cling on to that toilet paper, and it might not matter what brand you get, you know. But that would be my hot take: is that because when it's inside your toilet, it doesn't break down effectively. Charmin can be a clog developer and killer. So, all right. Did I answer it? Heck yeah. Yeah. Britt, you did a great job asking that question, but I got to tell you, you buttered me up. You buttered me up real gut, <laughs> trying to throw me off your scent. But you know what? I smelt you. You were talking about toilets, so I'm talking about poops and smells and oh, stuff. Wow. God, we got weird. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> next question, please. Hi, Mercury. My name is Kendall. Pronouns are she, her. My question is my shower since I moved into this house, has never had actual hot water. And the rest of my house gets plenty hot water. I mean, this guy even turned up the gauge on my hot water heater. So, like, my kitchen, for instance, gets water so hot that it, it'll, like, scold you if you're not careful. But my shower has never gotten more than lukewarm. And it's not the, like, hot water valve thing so i have no idea what it could be and what i could do to get an actual hot shower so i would love for you to give me your insights thanks bye well kendall you you got me all bunched up here now because as you were telling your story you know talking about the hot water heater which is exactly where my brain went but then you talked about how you get like lukewarm water in your shower 
and then you get real spicy hot water in your kitchen. And then I was like, well, okay, well, then it's going to be your faucet handle. Then it's going to be you know your stem or your cartridge that is going bad and need to be replaced. But then you said, and this is the important part, Kendall, you said it's not the hot water valve, which leads me to believe that you you're saying that the the actual stem or the cartridge, the hot water cartridge or a hot water stem, is not the problem. That means you either did the thing or you had someone look at the thing and yet not the problem. That made me a little confused. But now I'm really thinking, okay, Basil, you can jump in at any point here, buddy, if you think that you might have an idea. Now, this is what I think it is. I don't know where you're located, but this does matter a lot because if you're located in the Midwest, you are more than likely dealing with calcium. Right. That's exactly what my this brain is. Is where to. your brain? Yep. Okay. This is. I don't know if this is true, and I. I could be way off base. Everybody. I want this to be clear. This one is. This is a tougher one. Um. But I'm going to say I think, I think it is something with calcium buildup that is blocking. That is making it harder for the water to get through there without getting colder. Does that make sense? I had a situation similar to this. Yeah. Uh, because, like, it was, I think it was, you're right, it was getting caught up, and then it just cools down by the time it gets out. Right. But what mine ended up being was calcium blockages inside the shower head itself. Okay, yeah. So I could take the shower head off and measure the pressure, and it seemed normal. But... So you, you're you saying take off. So if they just, if she just takes the shower head and replaces the shower head, which is not really that that expensive. That's mm-hmm. you know at the minimal twenty dollars. At the most, what are we talking like fifty? Usually? I mean, you can get really you really can get fancy really ones. expensive ones. Yeah, you don't but, even have to replace it if you don't want. I just soaked mine in vinegar overnight. Yeah, yeah. I will say when you do that though, you can damage it though if you do that. You know, we we've said this all the time. We've talked about this a lot. Those those little floss br- brushes. Those ones that have like a little tip and a little handle, like little travel. Yeah, flush. those little travel flash brushes that have like a—they're just like a straight little. They almost look like they're pipe cleaners. Mm-hmm. Those, or even a pipe cleaner. Now that we're saying it, all—if you take that and you go through all the little holes, Manny, of your shower head, that will clear it out without having to actually soak it in any type of like CLR or any type of calcium away or lime away product because. The lime away products are so acidic that they can eat away at that um, the the finish of it and really deteriorate the the actual look. And that's why you get the shower heads that look like they are like half like half, like discolored and and beat up and stuff. That's what happens sometimes with that. And if you have one of the shower heads that has those little like silicone like tip things where the water comes out. You can sometimes even just use your thumbnail to clear those um, out with cla- the calcium. Wait, which ones are you talking about? Like the the like the rain shower ones that have like the little silicone. Oh yeah, tip things that come uh, out of the shower head. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't see those very often that much anymore. Did you ever use those? I have one right now. Oh, you do? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I don't see them too much these days, but. Yeah, that would be another route that you could do if you have one of those. I would say, though, that you can get like a $15 one or something. Yeah, especially really... if you're just going to test this out and see if this is the problem. Yeah, because it wouldn't take much to do it, you know. 
Uh, just remove that one you have with an adjustable groove joint pliers, Lefty Lucy. Putting a rag on it will protect it from getting damaged by the, the teeth of the pliers. And then you can, if you have a shower head that requires you to wrap it in plumber's tape, then you make sure you wrap it like... Mm. There, that's always a question about mm-hmm. how much you wrap it, but it's always a minimal of like two to three times you wrap it, and you always wrap it clockwise. You always wrap it clockwise, not counterclockwise. Because that's the way you would turn. That's the way you're turning into gotcha. it. So you're not. So if you're putting the other way and you're turning into it, it you will would just be taking. It yes, off. exactly. Yeah. You're not actually. You're not adhering it to it. Uh, so make sure you you wrap it clockwise, and then you tighten it down with the pliers. And then you're you're good to go to try it. That's as simple as that. It's one of the easiest now, switches. Now, here's do. another thing. Matt brought up all of that stuff. Shower heads itself nowadays will have some type of like restrictor mm-hmm. for how much water can actually go out. I don't know why it would only be the hot water in this. Right. But if you remove that, that might also help add some of the pressure back to it. It might counterbalance it. If you're not able to 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 affect it, you might get a little bit hotter. Maybe I don't know. That so we're kind of throwing a lot at you, but I I don't know. I I really think it's a calcium. I just one more like just wonder. I just wonder is the pressure in the shower? Did they say anything about the pressure in the shower specifically? Because I just wonder because you know a lot of the newer plumbing is like that plastic tubing, right? Pex. Yeah, if yeah. There, if there was like a hole in in like the hot water tubing, would that potentially lead to this kind of problem? You like you're saying if there's a hole in somewhere the tubing leading in, to the shower. I mean, you would notice that. You know, you would definitely. Boy, if you had this, it sounds like they've been living in this place for so a hot minute. Yeah, why? I would say that if there's a hole anywhere, I don't think that could be it. But that's. That'd be pretty far-fetched. That, I don't know if I would say far-fetched. You know, things like that can definitely happen. But typically, if it's up to code, that's not going to happen. Like, if we're talking about PVC, that's if you're using PVC for all of it, uh, most places will, most coding won't, won't allow that. You mm-hmm. have to have something typically that's not that. But I don't know where they live yeah. and what the code is in their area. We just bought a book, actually. That's about codes. And I'm really excited about tearing into that and yeah. fact checking myself on it because it really is. There's so many different codes mm-hmm. and regulations to be aware of. And they're always updating. And it. Black and Decker came out with a book that's all about it. And I'm really excited about reading more about codes and making sure that I get my information right for all of you. Wow, you're such a nerd. I am a nerd. I fucking love this shit. <laughs> Let me love all this shit so I can tell you about all this shit so you don't have to learn it yourself, you know. Ah. But let me get all geeky about it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like I'm a, a Star Trek nerd that gives everybody Star Trek information but expects no one to watch Star Trek. You know what I mean? <laughs> For those who don't know, I am 100% a Trekkie as well. So, okay. All that being said, did we answer that question? I think so. I don't know, though. Let me let me look one more thing up and then then we'll see if we answered it. One thing you can do is if you unscrew, just like take the shower head off completely. You can run water like that and see if it makes a difference. Mm, mm. Oh, that's a really good idea. Manny, that's a really good idea. Matt, that's such a good fucking idea. Removing. So this is another troubleshooting method that we're talking about. Like, how do you isolate and limit stuff? This is actually, ironically, there's a whole section about 
how to troubleshoot in my book, Safe and Sound Adventures, Friendly Guide to Home Repair. <laughs> um, but there is and generally a whole section about it. And one of those things is like, how do you isolate something that's wrong? And I think Matt's right. You take, at the very least, take the shower head off. Right. You know, and see if the hot water, if the hot water increases. And if it doesn't, then there's something farther down the line itself. Right. It, maybe there is something with the hot water that we're missing. Maybe there's something is happening with the stem that we're missing. Unless you replace parts on them, I would definitely look into that. I would also say from the hot water heater, it's important to know which one it goes to first. Does it go to the kitchen first? Does it go to the bathroom first? I'm guessing it goes to the bathroom last. That's kind of my if the assumption. If this chain of command there, because it, it could be something around the area that is causing problems inside the pipe. I don't know. How do you clear that out? I don't know the answer to that one. Yeah, you're going to have to do a lot of troubleshooting for this one, I think. Yeah, I, I, I think so as well. So I was looking for a product that you can put in your hot water heater and somehow help the problem. But, you know, it just isn't safe to do any of that. You know, like, you know, people were, there's some people who are literally telling you to put vinegar in your water supply, in your hot water. I know! That's kind of nuts, you know? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. But that would be the way that, if you're trying to solve the problem without any type of interference, without cutting the pipes open and taking a look that way, one of the solutions would be to run something down the pipe. You know what I mean? But I, I don't think there is one in this instance that is not, you know, a pain in the butt. You could disconnect it from the hot water heater, drain everything, and then run some type of snake down there maybe to try to clear it out. But I don't know if that's even a good idea either. So I would definitely look into this a little bit more. I'm not going to be able to fully solve this one for you. But I think hopefully we set you in the right path. But I got to tell you, this one this one almost got me stumped. This is almost got me. This is a pretty tough one. Basil, would you say it's pretty tough? It's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. Tough, like uh, Charmin extra tough. <laughs> yeah. Tough, tough on your butt ripes and on your plumbing. Pipes. On your pipes. I love it. Tough on your butt wipes and in your pipes. Oh, shit. That's good. Oh, Charmin, hire me right now as your next sports person. Spokesperson? Spokesperson. Um, words. Am I right? <laughs> words. Okay. We ready for the next and last question of the day? But that means we're almost done. It means we're almost done. It means this time of our day is past. And it also means that you and I are not going to hang out and just hang out in a little room. Mm -hmm. But we are going to hang out for the next several hours anyways and do other stuff. Oh, yeah, that's right. There we go. <laughs> Working with your best friends, folks. <laughs> Hi, Mercury, Suzanne, and team. This is your former burlesque baby, Lex Shive. And I have a little question for you regarding healing windows and doors for two reasons. One, because as you may know, living here in the Midwest, we've been getting a lot of shitty air pollution coming down from Canada. And in the winter, I can't always keep it from being really drafty in here. So I figured maybe two birds, one stone. Can we use that metaphor perfectly? Anyway, let me know what you think. How can I seal off my windows and doors to A, keep nasty, polluted air out, and B, how can I keep the heat in in the winter? Thanks for your help in advance. I love you. You're all doing great. 
Bye. Oh, my good friend, Lex. God, I have missed your voice so much. <laughs> Lex was one of my fa- one of my favorite people that I've ever worked with in the classroom, but also on stage. And is a wonderful fucking performer who Absolutely. dressed up as a, as a cat last year and got shit naked for strangers with us. It was a great time. Yep, uh, yep. You know, I got to tell you, the amount of people I've had in my entire 16-year burlesque career who dress up like cats and <laughs> knocked things off of tables <laughs> in front of strangers is hilarious to me. I mean, it sounds like they're living the dream. I've had so many people over the years get a ball of yarn and just like bat it around on stage. <laughs> I did have someone who got two yarn balls and put lights in them and then did like a poi act as a cat. Oh, that's super cute. Isn't that super cute? I love, oh, that. I love that. And then he had a glass of milk on stage and they drank all of the milk like just with their tongue like you know like a cat would and then knocked over the glass on stage <laughs> so fucking cute <laughs> fucking killed me but anyways so let's talk talk about lux's question now now okay basil you also live in wisconsin i do you also live in a place currently that's very drafty yes um do you have any input that you would like to give before I dive right in. I mean, I always do the the plastic window seals. I was gonna. That's gonna be the first thing. So the kind of you use. Do you use a hair dryer or anything like that? Yes, you do. Good. So let me put a pin in that because that's a very good. I'm gonna have you walk us through that in a second. Okay. Because I haven't done that too much. Right. I've used a heat gun and I've done a, a little bit here and there. But often for me as a technician, I don't do that. Sure. Right. Like that is a tenant thing. And then I come and support if I need to kind of thing. Yeah. Right. But we are going to talk about doors and windows and caulking and all the fun stuff. Okay. Now, weather stripping is going to be your best friend, especially if you look at your door and if you see, you know, the one of the best things you can do is have a friend or someone in your life at night go outside your front door and take a light and flash a light through all the sides of the door and see where those gaps are. Sure. Because if you, you might not see it during the day or at night really at all, but a light will definitely shed some light on the situation. <laughs> ah, oh, too many, too many. <laughs> Too many uses of the light. You know what I mean? Okay, good. Anyways, I don't know what I'm talking about 90% of the time, Basil, okay? <laughs> my job is just to keep talking and, and eventually get to my point. That is all my job is. <laughs> but all that being said, my, my belief here is that if you take the light and you shine it in a cracks and in there, you'll find where the gaps are, which will help you to effectively know where you need to put the weather stripping. Weather stripping typically... I, it works best when you got weather stripping on both the door and on the frame itself. But if you can only do it on one because it's too tight, otherwise, frame is almost always the way to go. You get the rubber gasket kind that's really good weather stripping. I like that more than that foamy stuff that will always tear away, always rip apart, never fun. You also want to get a door sweep or some type of like thing on the bottom that like hides underneath your door. Often they're called sweeps. Sometimes they're called door jackets. There are a whole bunch of different things. Or door pillow. I don't know. The internet's a wild place with all these <laughs> names sometimes. But it just slides right underneath your door. And when you close your door, that does really. You can get the kind that actually gets screwed to your door too. All that is going to help reduce it. Now, if you got like cracks in your frame or cracks along the side of your trim and in your paint... Right then, you might want to get some type of like uh, latex cock, and you're gonna to want to seal it all up and make sure that looks pretty. 
do the same thing with your windows. Add weather stripping. Uh, if you have the windows that like slide up and down, the double hung windows, right? You're going to want to use weather stripping on where they hit and stuff too. And all that jazz. So that's all that, right? And as I've said many times, if you got some type of like blanket that you can add to the wall or add to any situation like that, the blankets help a lot. They're almost like indoor installation. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, but not least, least at all, let's talk about the film. Boom. Okay, so for these films, um, you can usually pick them up at most stores, honestly. Like, even Walmart and Target have them um, it, usually Yeah, the they fall. have a whole kit most of the time. Yeah, yeah. You, that's what I do. I just buy the kit and make it easy on myself. You do want to make sure that you measure your windows first so you know what size to buy. Usually the plastic just comes on, like, a big roll, and then you cut it to the size of your windows. But so the actual application, usually these kits come with, like, a, a double-sided tape kind of situation you would put the the tape around your window and then you just stick the plastic to that tape and then use the hair dryer to heat it up and it kind of like shrinks to the size to the window to the wall as i sweat down on my paws meow 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 that's all i wanted to do awesome it was about 25 seconds of me not talking i felt like i needed to say (laughs) something (laughs) <laughs> no, but you're doing great. Continue. <laughs> I mean, I think that that was that was pretty much that's okay. pretty much it. Yeah. So I ended it with <laughs> the sweat drops my the sweat drops down my paws. Meow 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 meow. Oh boy. <laughs> okay, everyone. This has been a great episode of the Handyman <laughs> Hotline. <laughs> no, I think we we I think we answered that question pretty good though. I think just one other thing to mention is just like if your windows have um, you know, sometimes they have a- another window that you can close, like instead of the screen. Yes. So yeah. just make sure you do that. Too. Make sure you have that secondary exterior window if you got it. I would also say that the hair dryer comes in because it makes the whole thing tighter. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like when, when you when you blow dryer, in, it just like adds some tension to it and really pulls it. And the more it pulls it, the the more it like keeps the air from actually flowing out or in. Yeah, because it should be like tight. Like if you if you tap on the the plastic over your window after you use the hairdryer, it should be like like tight. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I think we did it. Did we do it? I think we I think we might have done it. Oh my god! I think we did it. it. One thing I will add: if you are someone. Who definitely wants an air purifier, but you don't want, like, you can't get your hand on it and stuff. You can do something called a Corsi box. Did I say that right? I don't, I've never heard we've of done, that. We've done, we've made them on the internet before. Uh, I did a TikTok about it where you have, you know, the Merv 13 filters mm-hmm. and you make like a box around yes. it. Right, and then you add a box fan yep. in there. Okay. And yeah. that acts as a portable, like a makeshift filter. A, a DIY you know, filter cleaner, right? If you are having a lot of that silt in the air, you're going to want to not just have Merv 13 filters. You're going to want to have carbon filters. And the reason for that is to really clean all that dirty air out. And when we're talking about, you know, air that was coming from a Canadian number, right, with all that, the fires and everything, that air was really, you know... Yeah, there was a lot of particles. Yeah, a lot of stuff in there. So the carbon... The cover ones might be best. Now, MRF 13, the reason why we recommend that is because MRF 13 during COVID was 
one of the only filters mm-hmm. that was proven to actually get COVID and, and snatch COVID up before it got to your lungs. Gotcha. So the MERV 13 is what we normally recommend par- partially because Corsi, the Corsi box was something that would kind of popped up during the pandemic time. Yeah. So I highly recommend that route if that's something you want to do. I will say this, it ain't cheaper. It sure. is not cheaper. Do not think it's cheaper. Right. I would say the output is more powerful. Typically, I would say they're harder to change the filter. You're going to redo the box every six months. I think, Matt, Matt, did I give you the box when I made it that time? Yes. Have you used it? It is now a box fan. It is now just, oh, you took the whole thing yeah, apart. I disassembled it. Did you, like, did you use it ever, ever as an air, air, air filter system? I think so. I don't really remember. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So I'm happy you went to someone who didn't need it. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, am wondering, how does that compare to, like, a HEPA filter? Um, you know, I don't know enough to be able to properly say this. But I will say, from what I have, my own experience, it was a very powerful filter system. You could feel the difference in a room that was about 380 square feet, right? Now, I, I would say if it was in a room about 700, 800 square feet, you can feel the difference. But it's really effective in a room, Rather than effective in a whole apartment. Gotcha. If you got two of those running, it really does depend on what the voltage and what the output is of that fan itself. Every box fan is going to be a little bit different. If you got a newer box fan that's a little bit smaller and a little bit more lightweight and runs a little bit quiet, it might not get the same output as one of those old-fashioned powerhouse fans. Sure. You know, back when we were younger, you know, that's all metal and, and is kind of a death trap. But all that being said, I think we covered it. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Mercury did it again, everybody. I think she did such a good job that you should award her with buying her book, Safe and Sound, a renter's friendly guide to home repair that's available anywhere you get your books. Right, meow. If you have questions of your own and you want us to answer them on the episode or if we said something that you think was stupid then you (laughs) should call this number 608-205-8768 and you should let us know directly so we can help you now if you also have things that you want to tell us like if you were one of the people that we answered the question for today and you want us to uh, hear how it went you could send us a follow-up like what we have now. We got a follow-up from Colleen, who uses they-them pronouns. Oh. They called into episode 23 asking about painting a bathroom, and you gave them a 24-minute masterclass on every aspect of painting. <laughs> so, like, se- seriously, I was listening to this. It, like, it did not feel like 24 minutes, but it was <laughs> packed full of information. I, I gave... Wait, let me... Oh, Hold on. We're Wait to a go minute. Back and listen to that. I gave a 24 minute speech about the the ins and outs of painting. Matt, yeah, is this every, is... everything from sanding using one of those round sanders with the extension, <laughs> priming? Oh, such a good idea. Yeah. But this is literally the definition of watching paint dry verbally. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. That so so, so how did it go? So everyone should uh, check out. Episode 23, it's the first question. And Colleen did not send a voicemail. They did not send a text message. They sent a pile of cat pictures. Oh, Colleen! The best kind of follow-up. Okay, kitty cats. Oh, that's really cute. Okay, this cat loves this paint job. 
Wow, this cat has a bow tie, and he looks really cute. I'm obsessed. Oh, God. Everyone, I just want you to know right now that if you ever want to make me happy, this is what you do. You send me pictures of cats and of a job I helped you on. Also, if if this is the room you painted, I just want to say, Colleen, you did a beautiful job. That blue looks absolutely delightful, and I'm obsessed with that blue. I really like the vibrancy of it. I also think it looked like it was really good. It didn't, look, it didn't look like there was any streaks in it. Yeah, it didn't look like there's any streaks in that blue. Yeah, it looks really solid. It looks really solid. You even went over what like lighting direction to do based on where the light is. Oh my god! Did I really? Boy, I oh, must yeah. I must have been in a good mood that day. <laughs> <laughs> wow, everyone! Hey, look at that! I mean, you can't look at that because this is a, a podcast, but. Let me just tell you, from my eyes to your ears, this looks pretty darn fucking good. (laughs) All right, everyone. I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Handyman Hotline. As always, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, it means the world to me that you're willing to give me like an hour of your time every single week to listen to me talk nonsense with my friends and help as many strangers as we possibly can. I hope you one day get to have a chance to call in and have me answer your questions too. And remember... You can get information for our book tour right now by going to MercuryStardust.com, finding out where we're going to be near you. And chances are, if you're living in the United States, we are going to be near you within like a five to six hour drive at the most, for the most part. And you know what? If we are driving all across the country, I think people can drive a couple hours to come see us. Yeah, I think for the most part. If you're in North Dakota and South Dakota, I just want to say, sorry. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Definitely going to be a little bit more of a drive for you. But almost everyone else has the maximum of like six hours away from us, I think. I think there are maybe nine or ten hours here and there, especially in the West Coast. The West Coast gets very widespread. But on the East Coast, we are basically everywhere. It's a lot of cities. So you can find out more by going to MercuryStartus.com. As always, remember, you're worth the time it takes to learn a new skill. Bye-bye! The theme song was created by Rody Walker. Questions were picked up by our production assistant, Ziggy. A big thank you to our executive producer, Basil. And this podcast was recorded and edited by Matthew Allen Hag. Thank you for listening. See you next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Handyman Hotline, you can listen to an even longer version by supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon, $10 or more, you'll be able to get an extra long 30 to 45 minute section every single week. Isn't that amazing? More of me and Maggie. Wow! So thank you so much for all those who already support us, and you too can support us and listen to more on our Patreon. Thank you. Bye-bye. So grab your hammer and nails and paint your nails if you want to. You're worth the time it takes to be you. She'll teach you how to fix your house.